Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the Union label. That's to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome, everyone, to the Alan Nathan Show, where we want the Republicans out of our bedrooms, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. I'm John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor of Breitbart News, sitting in for Alan today. Well, I thought we might pass a word or two about what happened to Tucker Carlson, because it's an interesting story that has a lot of ramifications going forward for the media. Probably going to be just fine for Tucker. I'm sure he'll land on his feet. He'll do whatever he's going to do, and he's got an audience that'll follow him. But this has a lot to say about all of us, including me, you, everyone, going forward, because the media landscape is a lot different now. And besides the advent of the internet, podcasting, and so forth, and, and the move to those platforms, the other thing that's really changed is that people are growing increasingly comfortable with using compulsive power to silence each other, to knock shows off the air, to shut down networks, to shut people they don't like up in a variety of ways. And we've developed a real appetite for this. And that is ostensibly what happened to Tucker. If you listen to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the representative, she went on uh, Twitter and boasted that she had gotten Tucker kicked off the air or that she had some role to play in it and that it was good. It was good that she had the power to silence dissent and people that she doesn't like and that we need to do more of it because people who don't agree with her are dangerous and they need to be shut up and more access to the public square needs to be restricted. Now, that may or may not be what happened to Tucker Carlson. I don't know. And in the interest of disclosure, I don't know him personally. I haven't talked to him. I know some people that do know him. They all say he's a very nice guy. They speak highly of him. And I did a little writing for the Daily Caller back in the day after he launched it some years ago, but I never had any direct interaction with him. Just everybody said he's a very generous guy that knows him, that he'll help you a lot with your career and that he, he reaches out to people. And I think if that's the case, then he'll be just fine because he'll have plenty of friends to bring with him to whatever he does next. He'll get his own network going or something. But there are different theories floating around out there as to exactly what happened to him. All that Fox News viewers knew is that he was gone. They tuned in on Monday and no Tucker. And, and he was on Friday. He had a show on Friday. And that was apparently the end of it. Now, one of the theories that, that's been propagated here is that the reason they knocked him off the air is that he was going to use his Monday show to talk some more about the January 6th debacle and the tapes and videos that have emerged. And he has been on this and has said that a lot of what happened on January 6th was orchestrated and some of the people involved were treated unfairly. It's been a big issue with him. And the, the Fox big shots did not want him to do that. So they told him no. And that led to him leaving, either quitting or being fired whichever the case may be. That's one of the theories. Another theory that you'll hear bandied about about Tucker is that it was something he had already said, possibly an address that he had given off the air where he was talking about religious issues. And one of the theories is that this made either Rupert Murdoch himself or his sons or somebody at Fox uncomfortable, and they didn't want Tucker to keep going with them. They just decided to break it off with him because of something that he said or did, whether it was that speech on religion, which I think he gave like Wednesday or Thursday last week, or, or something else, you know, that, that did it to him. Another theory is that it was personal, that there was some animosity between him and people at Fox. Now, we don't know, because so far the principals involved in the decision have not made public statements about it, and maybe they can't. There could be agreements in place. This is not uncommon in the media world. It's actually kind of prudent, really. If you're going to hire somebody to work in media, you really don't want them to go nuclear on you if that relationship ends. So it's prudent to build in some protections for all parties and say that everybody has to keep pretty quiet about this, at least for a little while after your, after your business relationship ends. I do have a little experience with that because I once worked for a magazine, Human Events, that shut down its website and I was let go and it was all very amicable and everybody was a pro about it. But, you know, that's how it is. You've you got to think that if you're going to give somebody a platform, and Tucker had a platform that reaches millions of people, it's a huge audience that he had, that, you know, you want some protection that they're not going to go on the air on their last day and just, just rip you to pieces, you know, do some, uh, some crazy thing and, and you don't want that. So usually you have some kind of a clause 
built into your contractual relationships that says you, you don't do that. You don't talk about why the relationship ended. So it could be some weeks, some months before we really know exactly what happened. Uh, with Tucker leaving. But the fact that he was Fox's biggest draw by, by a fair margin and that he was abruptly booted off the air, that's pretty important. And, and even if he does well and lands on his feet, it's alienated a lot of Fox viewers. You know, you can tell that a lot of people are mad. His audience is angry that he was treated this way. Some people that weren't necessarily big fans of his are very disturbed that someone of his position could be eliminated so quickly and for such ambiguous reasons with no clear reason for cause. Now, if they had fired him and said, we fired him for cause and here's why, and they laid it out, that would be a little different. But, you know, since it's all very vague right now, you can see where that makes people nervous. And it makes people particularly nervous because we have entered this period where, as, as Representative Ocasio-Cortez was, was cordling, that we have gangs, mobs, you know, of, of totalitarian-minded individuals that think it's important to silence those who disagree with them. They think your disagreement is illegitimate. You shouldn't be allowed to speak. You're, you're doing disinformation as they see it, you know, something they think is dangerous for people. You're morally wrong. You're a, you're a racist or, or something or a sexist or whatever they're going to charge you with. You're, you're anti-gay. Or even because you're liked by people who are like that. And one of the things that lefties would bring up with respect to Tucker Carlson's show is that they would go find some noxious little group of racists with a website or something, and they would have a favorable comment about whatever Tucker Carlson said last night. And then they would say, ha, see, this proves it. He's in bed with the Nazis or whatever, you know, which is ridiculous. You have no control over who likes you. No, nobody in media does. You, you can't tell people not to watch your show. You can't tell them not to comment on you. If, if some guy that's a axe murderer comes out and says that he liked a you know particular show on tv the the person who runs that show is not responsible for his axe murders you know this you can't control that and we get this quite a lot coming from the other direction incidentally how about the manifesto of the Nashville church shooter, the, the Nashville child slayer, this transsexual that went nuts and shot up all these people at a school in, in Nashville. We're being told we're not allowed to see the manifesto. And there is one. There absolutely is one. The police have it. But they will not release it to the public. Why? Because it would damage the left. It would be very embarrassing for them to have this manifesto come out. And there is a good chance that somewhere in that manifesto, this person spoke approvingly and with agreement towards popular figures on the left. You know, who knows who they would be since I haven't read the thing, but it's a pretty good shot. I've seen these manifestos before. And people that do this thing tend to drop names. Uh, the guy in Norway, uh, Anders Blevik, who shot up a bunch of people years ago, he had this lengthy rambling manifesto and it was packed full of all the names of people that he admired or liked or watched their TV shows or whatever. The, these people are narcissists. People that do this kind of thing, they tend to have self-absorption before they become violent, and they like to compare themselves to famous people by using their names. When they write the manifesto, they'll say, you know, I believe in, uh, in saving the earth, just like Al Gore or whoever, you know, just not to pick on Al Gore, but just as an example, you know, they, they do this. So it's a fair bet that this manifesto is going to name names, and maybe this, this uh, shooter was very invested in and supportive of people on the left. And we can't have that. We're not going to let uh, that manifesto get published because they won't let themselves be tarred by guilt by association. A lot of the left-wing violent people, and there have been quite a few of them over the last couple of years, have, have mentioned prominent Democrats, prominent leftists, prominent media figures who are on the left and express their admiration for them. And all of that gets hushed up pretty quickly. And if you even mention it, they get mad. And they say, you know, how dare you connect me to this guy that tried to shoot up the Republican caucus at a baseball game? I, I have no control that he liked my TV show or something. Ah, but when it's Tucker Carlson, all those rules go out the window. And all of a sudden, he's personally responsible for every creep who decided they liked what he said on TV six months ago. So that that game is not played in, on an even keel. And we are seeing people forming up into these gangs, these online mobs, and they're wielding influence. Their, their bloodlust is, is being stoked because they think it's working. And it wasn't just Tucker. He was by no means the first. They go back to other people in media that they don't like, that they were able to deplatform 
that's that's this horrifying new totalitarian word that we're all supposed to embrace now deplatforming which is censorship it means shutting people up by depriving them of their ability to speak in public so they're all in favor of deplatforming college campuses have been doing this for years they're the petri dish where this ideology was incubated you go to college and for decades now it has been routine to see mobs of students show up and just shout down anybody they don't like if there's a speaker they disagree with they don't just sit there and listen and then respond they shut them up they hold a mob action they scream at them they yell and we're seeing that happen even in legislatures now all of a sudden insurrection is cool again and you have these left-wing mobs barging into legislators and bellowing out their orders and shouting through megaphones and the media and the democratic party are telling you this is fine they they don't have to worry about being accused of insurrection they're allowed to shut down anything any speech they don't like they think they have the upper hand when it comes to this kind of censorship and they're going to keep doing it and they're pointing to what they view as successes where they've either gotten people kicked off the air or they've hurt their shows or, or they've compromised their income in some way and they think they can keep doing that and it will create an aura of fear for dissenters, that people will be afraid to talk about whatever issues Tucker Carlson was talking about, or before him it was Rush Limbaugh, or whoever they're going after. It's it's a scary time to see people embracing this technique. It is not the American way. I'm John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor for Breitbart News, sitting in for Alan today. We'll be right back with more of The Alan Nathan Show. Spring is here. Time to get out of the gym and take your workout outdoors. Whether you're walking, running, swimming, or biking, it's important to have a proper warm-up routine to prevent injuries. Five-time Ironman triathlon world champion Craig Crowey-Alexander has some advice. Sprains, strains, and injuries can happen to any athlete. Even a minor injury can affect your performance and derail your fitness routine. One of the best ways to try and prevent injuries is to make sure you prepare properly. Alexander recommends always starting with a 10 to 15 minute dynamic warm-up. Activation exercises combined with some dynamic movements like lunges are great for warming up. Focus on one specific movement at a time until you feel ready to go. Be sure to listen to your body and use proper support gear when needed to protect yourself and prevent injury. The Curad Performance Series Ironman lineup includes rugged supports, wraps, kinesiology tape, bandages, and analgesics to support you on your fitness journey. For more, go to curad.com. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon-St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to skill 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jason Derulo. I love that music connects to people all over the country. But unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million kids struggle with hunger right here in America. And yet, every year, billions of pounds of surplus food in the U.S. go to waste instead of going to the children in need. Feeding America is working to change this. The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks rescues this surplus of food to help provide meals to families in virtually every community in the United States including yours, but they just can't do this alone. Join me in the fight against hunger in America. For more information on what you can do to get involved, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. What is dedication? I am the father of a nine-year-old little girl and a six-year-old little boy. And I find fatherhood both relentlessly challenging and relentlessly rewarding. My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night, 
and every moment in between, it really is so special. And boy, is it exhausting. One thing that I fear about being a parent is the future for my children. I think a parent's job is to protect our children, but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. But I'm also hopeful that the future holds a more inclusive and compassionate world for them. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor of Breitbart News. You can find my work at Breitbart.com, and you can find me on Twitter at DOC underscore zero. The Chinese government has developed a disturbing amount of influence over American corporations in many areas, including the media, and even more than just bullying those corporations to toe the Chinese communist political line, they're purchasing outright ownership in a great deal of the American economy, and it's reaching a critical mass that has many people disturbed. Here with us to look at the problem is Ethan Peck, associate for the National Center for Public Policy Research's Free Enterprise Project. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show, sir. Thanks for having me. So I remember a while ago when this really first hit the radar screen, and the issue that alarmed people was that China was going to American companies like clothing companies, airlines, and they would say, you have to adopt our speech codes. You can't refer to Taiwan as a country. You have to draw maps that show China's control of the South China Sea, et cetera. And if you don't do this, we're going to hurt you. We're going to take away your market access. We'll fine you. Our regulators will harass you. But it's further than that now, and you see China's companies with an increasingly a strong hold on American industry by buying real estate, by investing in American companies, by taking direct control. What are we supposed to do to push back against this? Yeah, and it's also it goes both ways. We also have American companies investing in China, and you have American companies pushing political orthodoxy, woke nonsense, diversity, equity, and inclusion, green environmental nonsense here at home, while in China they're investing in coal. Um, what we've uncovered at the Free Enterprise Project, we do shareholder activism. So we buy shares of American corporations, and then we use our voice as shareholders to try to depoliticize corporations and pull them away from the woke nonsense. One of the stuff, one of the things that we've been doing this year is we've been um, filing proposals at corporations calling for a congruency report between their um, activities at home and their activities at China. In other words, the, the, the stuff that they push, the policies that they push here at home, big companies, they, they do the opposite in China and, and, and much worse. And so that's what we're trying to, by, by filing these proposals, we're trying to get shareholders involved in opposing uh, woke corporations' alliance with China. That's a good point, that when an American company invests in China, that's still the Chinese government getting leverage over them because they could damage or eliminate that investment if they don't toe the line. I remember late in the Trump administration, the Department of Education did a big study of universities and how they were investing their endowments and their money, and a lot of them were buying up stock in Chinese companies, and that was giving China a troubling degree of control over the curriculum being taught in American universities. Yeah, absolutely. And no money comes free, obviously. And, uh, and, and again, it's worse than that still, because it's not just that a lot of this money is ending up in the hands of the Chinese government. It's where. So, for example, uh, our proposal today at Goldman Sachs directly called out uh, Goldman Sachs for uh, financing one of their ETFs owns a Chinese nuclear co- corporation. So they're, they're funding in a backdoor way China's nuclear program which includes its nuclear weapons program. So we have an American corporation funding a Chinese nuclear program through its ETF that, you know, your 401k might be invested in. You don't even know because you're buying your 401k, your pension funds are, are being invested in these ETF funds from BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, Goldman Sachs as well. And they include, uh, you know, 700, 800 companies in them. And one of them is a Chinese nuclear company, which its subsidiary is producing, you know, nuclear weapons. And so what we can, if the government is not going to do anything about this, then at least as shareholders, we can call out the, the company directly. 
One of the uh, ways that China appropriated a huge amount of intellectual property from the United States and the Western world over the years was not just by brute force hacking, but rather they would form partnerships with American companies and they would open Chinese operations. And part of the deal would be a requirement that they had to share their technology, their trade secrets, their information with their Chinese partner. And after a while, sometimes the Chinese government would decide they didn't need the American company anymore once the Chinese partner had, had taken everything. Is that sort of thing still happening or are Western countries wise to that now? Absolutely. I think you're seeing some pushback, like especially with the pushback against TikTok, uh, although TikTok, you know, actually a Chinese company. But um, this sort of stuff was also happening at the universities, as you mentioned, uh, that part of the deal was that uh, American uh, universities and American corporations had to share their findings, uh, their research findings and the data of their customers um, with Chinese corporations. Um, and I think that this is one of the downsides of having uh, weak leadership that has sold out its own people for their own you know, profit to the Chinese government and not really caring about our country. And um, also, we're weak because we don't produce anything. And that is a big problem, especially with the potential for a conflict hovering on the horizon that could cut off Chinese supply lines. And we saw a little of that during the pandemic, during the early stages of it. China went out and bought up all the protective equipment it could get its hands on. And then they started cutting off shipments of such things to other countries because they said they needed it all for their own pandemic response. And that caused no mm -hmm. small amount of panic in the Western world. They said, where are we going to get all this stuff from if China won't sell it to us? Yeah, absolutely. You got the virus and the masks coming from the same place. And then you've got the uh, propaganda about the masks coming from the same place. Um, it's really um, sort of an incestuous um, class of people that are heading our governments and our corporations. Um, there's a revolving door between them, and they have a very cohesive anti-American policy. Now, one of the things that's been in the news lately has been China buying up real estate in the United States, Chinese companies, individuals who are suspected of ties to the Communist Party. And some of that real estate has been in sensitive locations. And that really seemed to put it on the radar screen when they try to buy a plot of land next to a military base. That was mm -hmm. when previously somnolent officials woke up and said, oh, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, it's uh very, very concerning that China is not only doing it in the United States, they're doing it everywhere. I think like the entire like western coast of Canada is very much owned by China. You, all, lots of uh, projects in Africa. I think one of the ways that they do this is that they um, out, co nations are having difficulty paying their own workers um, to build roads, to build bridges. Um, the labor is too expensive, and so they outsource to Chinese companies who, as part of the deal, they buy up real estate and they have – I was living in Israel um, a couple of years ago, and you had a lot of the roads being built by China, but now they're all sinking. New roads, sinkholes everywhere. And so this is the problem. You're outsourcing for cheaper labor, cheaper materials, but you're selling your country. You're selling your country's land and your country's secrecy to another country. This is happening in every country around the world, including the United States. It seems incredible that anyone would forget the lesson of how important real estate is, how it's physical, it's tangible, how ownership of property connotes so much else that comes with it. And when it comes to a court battle, this is a very asymmetrical situation. If the Chinese government wants to hurt an American company, they'll just do it. But over here, if we tried to take away some property they had purchased, they would fight back in court and very probably win. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that land ownership is one of the foundations of liberty. And so we have to hold on to those principles dearly. It's an important topic, and it would be very nice if we could use some of that land to recover some of our manufacturing. But I don't think that's happening at quite the pace we want it to, to be ready for the conflicts of the coming decade. Ethan Peck, Absolutely. Associate for the National Center for Public Policies Research Free Enterprise Project. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm John Hayward, your guest host today sitting in for Alan. We will be right back with more of The Alan Nathan Show.
From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common, but after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? Author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. Spring is here, and there's no better time to try something new. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar and enjoy real Coke taste and zero sugar. Now available at participating Burger King restaurants. Try Coke Zero Sugar with your favorite food from Burger King. Satisfy your hunger and enjoy Coke Zero Sugar with a piping hot breakfast sandwich, like a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant. Sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant makes for a delicious breakfast to start your morning right. And don't forget the crispy hash browns. Or if the flame-grilled Whopper sandwich, BK Royal crispy chicken sandwich, or chicken fries are your fave, you are in luck. All Burger King menu items pair perfectly with an ice-cold Coke Zero Sugar. It's the perfect no-sugar sparkling beverage that goes great with everything. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar to enjoy spring your way at Burger King, where you rule. At participating U.S. Burger King restaurants. Sponsored by Coca-Cola. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools... Suddenly, everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Blowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. 
Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor at Breitbart News. Tensions are growing in the Middle East between Israel and Iran as several different stories are coming together, ranging from Iran's quest to develop nuclear weapons to Israel suffering attacks from Iran-backed militias in Syria and responding and being denounced for responding. The tensions are reaching the point to where some think war could be on the horizon. And here to talk about it is Avi Lipkin, former translator in the Israeli Prime Minister's Travel Office and author of seven books, including Islamic Rivalry, ISIS and Iran Are Fighting for the Heart of Islamic identity. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show, sir. Thank you. Good to be on your show. It's hard to find a lot of good news in this situation right now. It seems like Israel is being pressed from all sides. There's domestic political turbulence over what's been happening lately. And above all, there is this looming threat of Iran finally achieving its nuclear dreams. And who knows what happens then? And of course, many people suspect Israel will not allow that. But what exactly can they do? Okay, well, first, the, uh, as you, I'm sure, know, uh, our Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, was in the United Nations a few years ago and spoke exactly about the problem of Iran. And uh, the United States, uh, have, of course, has Republicans versus Democrats, and I don't want to go into that, actually. But I will assure you that the U.S. military uh, and the Israeli military both uh, march in lockstep. In other words, the, the Israelis are, there, you know, forget about all the criticism on President Biden. There, there is a standard uh, situation with the U.S. military and the Israeli military, which is very, very positive, very strong. Now, I will add something else also, and the United States, uh, of course, is involved in this also. The Iranians are threatening uh, maritime commerce in the Persian Gulf. The U.S. has sent ships there now uh, to deal with that. Uh, the United States, uh, of course, will not want to talk about uh, any kind of a war or intervention in Iran. But I'm telling you right now, the, the, there are threats which have not even been mentioned. You know, Yemen is a proxy of Iran, and they are now working to block Israeli shipping in the Straits of Tehran, in the Straits, you know, the uh, Bab al-Mandeb. So uh, this is also a declaration of war uh, on Israel by Yemen, which is a proxy of Iran. And Hezbollah, to which we surrendered uh, territory in the Mediterranean Sea, um, in order to have some kind of good relationship with uh, Hezbollah, which is an Iranian proxy, all of this served for nothing under the previous government. Uh, and Netanyahu, of course, condemned that, uh, that agreement that gave the uh, Lebanese more uh, maritime rights, you know, for the search for the gas in the Mediterranean. Uh, so things indeed are warming up. Uh, today has been our uh, Independence Day in Israel, 75th uh, anniversary. Um, so I would say, you know, nobody wants a war, but if the Iranians are full steam ahead with their nuclear project and full steam ahead with providing Hezbollah with rockets and all kinds of accuracy uh, weapon systems and is training the, Iran the uh, Yemenites to send missiles uh, which can reach Israel, uh, and block our shipping in, in, in international waters, obviously uh, this is something that not Israel nor the United States will agree to. And so time-wise, I don't know uh, if and when this will happen. And if I did know, obviously, I would not share it on the airwaves. Well, but of course, we're it's we're, we're close. It is politically difficult, as we've seen, to strike back against these proxy forces, because when Israel takes some action against them, they are castigated for attacking Syrian soil. If they do it in Yemen, they'll be castigated for attacking Yemeni soil. The Iranians yell that you're inter interfering with sovereignty of other nations, and this is unacceptable. Civilians are always supposedly hit in the crossfire when these things happen. So it looks like Iran has been able to ratchet up this proxy warfare, and it's been very difficult to push back against it. Not only that, don't forget that the Russians are involved. The Russians are backing the Iranians. Uh, the Russians need Iran to provide them with missiles to attack the Ukraine. Uh, the Ukrainians need the Russians, not the Ukrainians, the Iranians need the Russians to develop, continue developing their nuclear system. So uh, this is a very, very touchy situation involving the Russians also. And I would say also that's one of the reasons why the United States does not, does not talk about it. But the United States, I think, is solidly with Israel on this question. And uh, Israel could go it alone if it wanted to. 
Uh, I do know for a fact that we do have our people on the ground already in Iran. Uh, there are things that can be done. And uh, don't forget, Israel is looking at the day after because we, are, we do not have a problem with the Iranian people. The Iranian people are very pro-Israel. Uh, the problem is with these crazy, fanatic, uh, theological leaders of uh, Iran who are suppressing their own people. So, I, I, you know, the, the son of the Shah of Iran, Reza Pahlavi, was here in Israel uh, just a few days ago, and he says he knows that the light is at the end of the tunnel and that we are approaching very good times very soon in Iran. I would love to, to believe that, and I know a lot of people had hoped that the Masa Amini protests would be the beginning of the end for the Iranian regime, but it kind of looks right now like they've survived that. Maybe not 100% intact, there is still some resistance. A couple of Iranian actresses were just arrested for flaunting the hijab laws, and they've instituted new surveillance systems to make sure that women will obey them. So it doesn't seem as if those protests have dealt a knockout punch to the Iranian regime, not in and of themselves. Uh, I, you are right. You are 100 percent right. But like I said before, the Iranian people are great people. Uh, is, the Jewish people and the Iranian or Persian people have a great history going back thousands of years. And I personally think that the Ayatollah regime is an anomaly. Uh, and I think that the time is going to come very soon that uh, they will be defeated. How much of a factor in all of this is the new relationship between Iran and Saudi Arabia? Until now, Saudi Arabia has been their great regional rival. The Saudis were a big player in what was unfolding in Yemen. They led an international coalition against Iran's proxy force that overthrew the government of Yemen. And now China has brokered this deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia that supposedly sees them patching up their differences. How much is that going to be a factor in this calculation? Well, you know, I'm going to share something with you. You are a very sharp interviewer, and it's a pleasure to do a show with you. Sometimes I do shows that people don't know really the, the, the information. If you remember when the Khalifa, the, the, the caliphate, had been established in Iraq and in Syria and uh, the, before they were defeated, and the caliphate of Sunni Muslims were slaughtering Shiites, and saying to, before they slaughtered the Shiite Muslims, they would say, you know, we hate you, Shiites, more even than we hate the Jews and the Israelis. Um, it's kind of like the Catholics and Protestants during the time of the Wars of Reformation. Um, the agreement between Saudi Arabia and Iran, I think, was a very big mistake by the Saudis, because the, uh, the regime in Saudi Arabia, uh, even though you have a reformer leader like Mohammed bin Salman, uh, this whole family now, I think, is doomed. Because the, uh, the, the, the Sunnis, uh, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia is Sunni and 92% uh, approve of ISIS. 92% of the Saudis approve of ISIS. In Jordan, similarly, there is tremendous unrest against King Abdullah of Jordan by, back, by groups that back ISIS. And uh, the moment Saudi makes an agreement with the Shiites of Iran, this is the greatest blaspheming uh, deal that could have been made by the, the Saudi king or the, the son of the Saudi king. So they might think they can be, make nice with the Iranians, but this is a sign of a betrayal uh, in the eyes of ISIS. And uh, I would not rule ISIS. ISIS is still there. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. ISIS is, is alive and well in some areas. They're active in Afghanistan. They have operations going across the Middle East, and they do have this position of being able to step into a reformist government like the one that uh, we have in Saudi Arabia and say, these guys are heretics. They're not for real. We're the real Islam. And how much support they're going to garner will have a lot to say about how stable those governments are. Yes. Now, I do think, I do think that if and when Israel and maybe with the U.S. Uh, carry out the attack on Iran, it may be indeed that the ISIS uh, uh, people will, you know, sit back uh, and let the Shiites of Iran be defeated. And, I mean, if you ask me personally, I think there's something very wrong, the thinking of the Shiites strategically, because the Shiites in the Islamic world are 15%, and the Sunnis are 85%. And so I think it's a tremendous strategic mistake to attack Israel. They should be looking for friendship with Israel, to be allied with Israel against the Sunnis. But the, the ironic thing is that Israel is making peace agreements with Oman and the United Arab Emirates and Sudan and other countries, and Morocco. And so Israel is making deals now with uh, Sunni countries. And um, 
which I think is a t- it's a going to cost a lot for the Shiites to handle this later. Um, but uh, like I said before, the, the, the Saudi agreement with uh, Iran is very uh, limited. Uh, the Saudis, you know, are very cynical about these things. But uh, like, like you said correctly, with a president like Biden, who is withdrawing from involvement in uh, the Middle East, the Saudis may feel that their only bet is their best bet is to work with the Chinese and the Iranians. And that is the great fear that they have moved at least a step closer to China's political orbit. And for a long time, our partnership with the Saudis has been very helpful to maintaining stability in the Middle East. Well, imperfect, but it got the job done and we might be losing it. And that would be a terrible event. Avi Lifkin, former translator in the Israeli prime minister's office. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm John Hayward, deputy national security editor of Breitbart News. We'll be right back with more of the Alan Nathan Show. The pandemic is just one factor that forced companies to rethink the way they conduct business. In addition to remote employees, companies are uploading more data to the cloud and workers are using a wide variety of apps and devices. As a result, businesses are more susceptible to security breaches than ever before. For 10 years, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud has helped businesses improve security and minimize vulnerability. Security continues to be a top concern for businesses. According to JumpCloud Vice President Eric Brown, organizations need to reconsider their approach. Identity is the new center of IT and the foundation around which all IT infrastructure should be built. That's where we at JumpCloud come in. We help companies and people make work happen with secure, frictionless access to the apps and data they need with an open directory platform designed for identity transformation. To learn how JumpCloud can help your business, visit JumpCloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you wanna support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year. Remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America 
200 Food Bank Strong and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time, ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor at Breitbart News. While somewhat eclipsed by the departure of Tucker Carlson from Fox News last week, this week was the end of Don Lemon's career at CNN. He'd been in some trouble. He'd had some problems. There had been some controversies about his treatment of his female co-hosts and so on. So generally, a, a load of things were, were piling up on him. But the straw that looks like it broke the camel's back was his extremely contentious interview with Republicans. Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. And during the course of this this very ugly interview, as it turned into, Don Lamont at one point said that Vivek Ramaswamy has no right to talk about racial issues because his skin isn't dark enough. And that whole business became so unpleasant that that was it for Don. So here with us to talk about that and about the future of the presidential candidacy of Mr. Ramaswamy is Kathy Barnett, grassroots director and advisor to the Vivek Ramaswamy 2024 campaign. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. This interview on CNN was just as unpleasant as it could be, and I think it, it encapsulates a lot of what we're up against in America at this point. The so polarized are we, so vicious have our politics become, that you have uh, Don Lemon basically thinking that this is his trump card. You can't talk to me about race. You're not black enough. I'm black. You're not dark-skinned enough. You, there's this growing, I think, resentment in the racial grievance industry for, or for Asians and Indian Americans who do really well in America and seem to disprove this grievance grievance narrative. Is that what we're looking at here? Is this really a threat to the grievance narrative that Mr. Ramaswamy in particular is going to have to deal with as he goes through his presidential campaign? Um, you know, I think that what we what we saw, what was being displayed was truly a symptom of a much larger cultural issue. Uh, and one of the tools that the left has used quite skilled, actually, is this ability to use grievances and things that that makes us different, diversity, to actually wedge uh, discontent throughout our nation. And, of course, the color of my skin, the color of Don Lamont, as you said, the color of his skin, you know, unfortunately has been one of those tools that the left has used with great skill to divide the nation. And what you saw was, you know, that, that, that mentality of the left coming up against someone who is informed and who actually has a backbone, and that is Vivek. He understands history, and he understands that when you're talking to someone like Don Lemon, he is a black man married to a white man making millions of dollars every year and has the nerve to sit there and talk about his experience and his black skin, and somehow he has been a victim of racism. No one is buying it. And so, you know, kudos to CNN for doing something that appears to be, you know, trying to bring balance to the station. But um, it was it was excellent to watch, and um, I'm excited about you know, it's, it's that's kind of the thinking that I think is choking off discourse in the country is that it's all about identity. It doesn't even matter what the actual details of your life are. So you have people who are phenomenally wealthy, accomplished celebrities who are super successful, but they still get to posture as broken victims because they have the right identity card in their pocket. And likewise, if you don't have enough identity points, you're not allowed to speak. You shouldn't even be allowed to enter the discussion. And pretty obviously, a Republican democracy is 
is not going to get anywhere if large groups of people are told they're not allowed to speak. Well, absolutely right. And our nation was founded on groups of people who are very stubborn, set in their ways, but coming together, not around those things that divide us, but those ideals that, that, that makes all of us one. And that is the bedrock of this nation, is that you get to speak and have your, have your peace, say your peace, as long as I, too, get the opportunity to say my peace, right? And so that is the premise of a functioning republic. But what we've seen, this dysfunction we've seen, has been as a direct result of the left saying, shut up, sit down, be still, and just believe the experts. Just follow the science as we dictate science to be. And that's the reason for all of the dysfunction that we've seen, not just in the culture, but in our economy, this culture of laziness where we've incentivized people not to work, this hyperinflation, it's what China is doing on the precipice of World War III, COVID and its origin, as a direct result of the left primarily telling others who have a contrary opinion to shut up. Sit down. If you can't have group think, we don't want to hear it. Now, Republicans for many years as a group have been told to stay away from cultural issues, that they have no right to even discuss them, and that even if they're defending themselves against hardcore left-wing aggression, that to even mention a cultural issue is to engage in a culture war, and that's going to scare away the independents. And also, when they talk about identity issues, all too often Republican candidates feel like they have to play the identity game. They're uncomfortable with rejecting it out of hand, so they start making concessions and giving away some of the points the left has about identity politics. Is this going to be different in the Ramaswamy 2024 campaign? Well, you're already watching it. <laughs> um, and live and in color, right? I mean, like, what of the other presidential candidates have come out so bold to say, uh, you know, among my first days in office, I will do away with, I will abolish uh, the Department of Education. I will uh, do away with uh, affirmative action. I will uh, dismantle many of these um, managerial uh, uh, classes. Who has actually said that and have been very forthcoming about it? This is what we need. We're not going to get to where we need to be by locking arms and pretending to sing kumbaya. Those days are over if they ever existed at all. We're living in some very bold and strange times. Never in our lifetime have we had to deal with conversations surrounding AI, conversation around these massive bank failures like Signature Bank and uh, and Silicon Valley Bank on top of the government belling them out. I think we did once before, but now even more, and it's really strange where there's no conversation about it. We're on the precipice of World War III. We see what China is about to do to Taiwan, open borders, fentanyl, ravishing every single community in our country. And people are just walking around as if nothing is actually happening. And yet I see the pressures that, that are being placed on top of the American people as I travel the nation. The American people are under a tremendous amount of pressure. And God forbid we continue to entertain the thought of a national divorce. It is time for a national revival. But in order for that to happen, we're going to have to have very serious people who understand what the issues are and have the backbone to do what is necessary. I think people are hungry for a discussion of ideas like that. I think there's a real appetite to break out of what they see as a death spiral of a, a government and a system that runs itself and is collapsing into ruin. But then at the same time, as I'm sure the campaign is well aware, when you go into a crowded primary, there are going to be calls for people who don't already have political influence and in offices to get out of the way. How could you possibly win? So it's, it's going to be a lively campaign. And I hope every contestant gives it their best and wish the best of luck to them all. Kathy Barnett, Grassroots Director and advisor to the Vivek Ramaswamy 2024 campaign. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Hayward. Thanks for joining us on the Alan Nathan Show. Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station. Main Street Radio Network, its management or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 70 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.